Crisis Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Facebook. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, big tech treads on telecom and a possible solution to deep fakes. But first, disrupting sport. So this is usually the dead zone for U.S. sports, but the past week has been insanely newsworthy with the U.S. women winning their fourth World Cup and seemingly every big NBA star switching teams. And those types of sports in which flesh and blood humans kick, throw, pass and dunk are still big business, generating hundreds of billions of dollars annually from fans who have historically gotten more and more devoted to particular teams and sports over time. Basically, from the pro sports perspective, get a kid into the arena, let them see and smell the excitement. And that kid is your customer for life. And with technology providing us more and more engagement opportunities, that customer for life should have more lifetime value than ever before. But all of that increased technology and media has also created a bit of an issue here. In short, alternatives, including esports, which share a name and some characteristics of traditional sports, but it's more about pixels than people. Combine that with falling youth sports participation numbers, and we may be entering what my guest today calls the age of the fluid fan, whereby fan affiliation isn't fixed to childhood, where generational allegiance can give way to just a few years of affinity. It's a sea change for one of the country's most enduring industries. And in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with four-time Olympian Angela Ruggiero, arguably America's most decorated female hockey player, who now serves as co-founder and managing partner of the Sports Innovation Lab in Boston. But first, this. People are asking for more ways to see and control the information companies have on them, and companies are changing in response. To learn what steps Facebook is taking, check out facebook.com about ads. We're joined now by Angela Ruggiero, an ice hockey hall of famer who now serves as managing partner of the Sports Innovation Lab. You guys published this report this year on the idea of fluid fandom and suggested that maybe one of the cracks in the foundation of traditional sports fandom is an oversupply of global live sports events. Did we hit peak sport when no one was noticing? Yeah, the Sports Innovation Lab, I think, you know, we've spent the last two and a half years looking at the market and what's going on. And Times have been great in sports. We produce more content, more distribution methods, even more ways, you know, basketball. Take basketball. It's, it's women's basketball, junior basketball, three-on-three basketball now. So when times are good, the theory is that, of course, you produce more. Of course, you take advantage of your market position. But in this almost oversupply of the market, fans are confused now. It comes at a time where they actually have choice in a plethora of other entertainment options it actually might be delivering that entertainment in a more engaging and interactive way. Take something like Fortnite or Netflix, right? Easier to consume, more personalized, potentially cheaper options that are out there. And and that to us is the biggest competition right now for these fluid fans, as you'd mentioned, that are more fickle, that are demand more. And really the reason for that is because of technology. Technology is ushered in a completely new way that, that these fans demand attention and aren't your diehards, they're going to take whatever you put in front of them. You talk in the, this report about how, you know, the, the basis, the, the business basis kind of of live sports has always been go watch play. And that last part, the play part, it used to kind of mean pick up a ball or a stick, but it now means something different. You mentioned Fortnite. It's kind of this interactivity, right? Like the, it's not just you want to sit there and watch and cheer, which is interactive, but actually help create the content. Yeah, play is a, a great pillar. Again, if, if sports fans like to go to games, they like to watch from home, but they also like to interact by playing. And, and as you mentioned, it could be youth sports. It could be picking up that ball and bat. 
but it could be digital. It could be via video games and, and esports. It could be through VR and, and AR opportunities to actually feel like they're part of it. It could be what you mentioned. We call it producage, where the, the fan picks up their phone, creates content, and is making commentary and, and actually having agency in the, the content itself. So playing to us means a variety of things, not just if they play youth sports, they will become fans of this sport. It's no, you, you need to create other ways to give them this agency to, to participate in your sport. And that could be something as simple as content creation or um, picking up a, a console and, and playing NBA 2K and then suddenly you're a you're actually an NBA fan. Well, so I was going to actually ask about that. There's a perception, and, and tell me if you think this perception is wrong, that of all the kind of major U.S. sports, that it is basketball, and the NBA in particular, that seems to have done the best job at least identifying this as a, as a demographic or, or kind of a behavioral shift and trying to play into it at least as best it can so far. Yeah, no, I would 100% agree. They, I think they picked up on this trend a decade ago. They said, look, it isn't just about that diehard fan. We have to start figuring out new ways to engage the next generation or women, you know, a new gender, a new socioeconomic, you know, even with their, their investment in NBA 2K. That's, that's a group of previously unserved potential NBA fans. So they've done a, a brilliant job, I think, of diversifying their offering and figuring out all these different channels to get those, again, those fluid fans, those more casual fans to their main property or to the sport of basketball. But they haven't done it in just let's just create new leagues. No, let's actually create new ways to take our content, distribute it, share it, give you agency over it. Um, and I'll take one example. Um, their, their decision last year to say, okay, if we've got a bunch of these casual food fans that don't want to pay for a season or a cord nevers that never subscribe to cable, let them buy the fourth quarter of a game for 99 cents. And so they said it's the same content packaged and delivered in a different way to appease these next generation fans, these hmm. fluid fans that, again, you got to do new things to, to get them in the door. I grew up in Boston, which means I, you know, by birth, it seems was a, you know, Red Sox, Bruins, Patriots, Celtics fan. And I, I, I am kind of, I guess, that older generation. So I think I will be until I die. You're a diehard. I'm a diehard. Yeah, a diehard. And, and that's okay. true. Legitimately. There's almost nothing they could do. They'll go away, by the way. They'll, they'll still be alive. We're just well, saying there's a large majority of fluid <laughs> but there'll be fewer of us right like but it's not just me like kind of any everyone i grew up with who cared about sports is the same way and no matter where they live they could live in new york city but they don't root for the yankees and i wonder there's something in your report you talk about how the brands of teams in particular so not just you know i'm from boston therefore i root for a boston team that perhaps things that when it comes to certain social positions even political positions that teams take that can now have an impact and cause a fluid fan to change their allegiance not based on what happens really on the court or where they live, but based really on what a team stands for outside of sport. Totally. The values-based organization, you see this outside of sports, that if you're a fan, if you're a consumer, if the brand doesn't reflect your own values, you're less likely to support that brand. And that carries over into sports, certainly. Again, with these fickle fans, they might follow players and not teams, but they might follow teams simply because of their values. You mentioned the Red Sox. Think about Yaki Way. You know, it was a big controversy recently, yep. um, you know, what are the ways we can get rid of our perception of maybe our historical racist ties? And they changed the name. Right. Yaki Way, which is, the, for those who don't know, the, the street outside of Fenway Park, named for the former Red Sox owner who uh, had uh, it was racist. I mean, he simply was. And, and they just changed the name, as you say. Or 
another example recently, Barstool Sports, who's a controversial, you know, brand, as you know, sponsored the towel at the Bruins Stanley Cup final, and that raised a bunch of eyebrows. The food fans go, wait, I don't associate with Barstool, and you're associating Bruins with them. Maybe I'm not going to be as diehard as, as I once was. So it's not to say that the diehards go away. Brands and teams and leagues think about the players kneeling. These social issues are having impact on the ability of, of teams and leagues to really capture these food fans and the values of the team. And in sport now, just like society, you know, I think these, these leagues, without that diehard season ticker holder that doesn't care, these food fans do. And so, again, all these changes in what's going on in broader context are coming into sports. And the properties want to take advantage of these food fans. They have to be aware of these, these changing dynamics. Angela Ruggiero, Managing Partner of the Sports Innovation Lab. Thanks so much for joining us. My final two right after this. Everyone is different. That's why you should be able to customize your experience online so that you feel comfortable. To learn more, visit facebook.com slash about slash ads. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the ongoing saga of Sprint and T-Mobile, America's third and fourth largest mobile carriers, which over a year ago announced their intentions to merge. The current holdup is the U.S. Department of Justice, which basically wants the two companies to help enable DISH, that satellite TV provider, to also become a national mobile carrier, so consumers will have the same number of options. But Sprint and T-Mobile are terrified, justifiably, that if they give DISH the keys to a small kingdom, DISH will then welcome in a deep-pocketed guest, like Amazon or Google, two companies which would love to have a play in 5G, and suddenly it could turn this also-ran into a very heady rival maybe even leapfrogging the merged T-Mobile and Sprint. The bottom line here, we are a very long ways away from the confidence that Sprint and T-Mobile executives exuded upon originally announcing their deal. And finally, we all know about Twitter's blue check marks, those little icons that reflect how a particular user is verified, usually celebrities or politicians or media folks, uh, and yes, including media folks like me, at the Mac. Well, anyway, Axios's Kava Waddell reports on a burgeoning effort to create what's being informally known as green check marks, which would guard against the growing threat of deep fakes, those uh, increasingly convincing but fake AI-generated images and videos. The goal here is to develop methods to verify photos and videos at the precise moment they're taken, leaving no room for doubt about their authenticity. And it makes sense, and it's needed, but there are also concerns that if the validation tech is too expensive, it could inadvertently invalidate real videos and photos taken by folks without that much money, or by people maybe who don't want information like location to be disclosed and recorded. So where we are, progress, but not without lots of theoretical speed bumps. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national paper bag day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.